You can turn in your bulletin, if you'd like, to page 22. The scripture reading is from James chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. This is the living, inerrant word of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, this is your living, almighty word. And we are your people. We are called here by your grace to receive your word, the word that has been implanted in us by your grace. And so we bow before you and ask that you would help us to understand this passage, help us to be obedient to it, help us to glorify you with hearts that love your word and are set to obey and be doers. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we can uh, look into the word of life and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm not sure you've ever done this, but have you ever thought about how many sermons have you listened to in your Christian life? How many sermons? Well, I'm old enough, I had to get out my calculator. And when I thought of sermons and Bible classes and classes I took at seminary, classes are all the things I've heard on the radio, all the times in the navigators for years and years, weekly hearing sermons and messages. I, I uh, calculator didn't even do that much, but it's a lot. In fact, just sermons alone, I, I calculated 3,000 sermons and um, other teachings from the Word of God. And I'm sure, by the grace of God, I applied some of those. And I've gotten better at having a heart of desire to apply the Word of God. But I always need to be exhorted uh, to keep applying the Word of God because in the hearing and the application of the Word of God, I am blessed. This passage makes it clear. We are blessed if we're doers of the Word of God. And by the lack of the doing of the Word of God, we can be deceived and not walking in the truth. Now, James, in this book, uh, James, uh, this is an excellent letter to help us to understand uh, that we must be acting in faith. This letter is talking about doing uh, what we're called to do. It's a letter of uh, action. And it highlights that justification is by faith and is demonstrated by works of faith. It must be demonstrated by actions of faith. That's what believers do. We can act because of God's grace in our lives. He's justified us, redeemed us, regenerated us, and then we have actions of faith to glorify him. 
And so this is a letter that's urging action. This is a letter of action. The practice of our faith, similar to Proverbs. Proverbs is very similar in many ways. So first of all, we are urged here in verse 21, it says, uh, to receive the word. Verse 21 says, therefore, now James had just referred to some verses, again, that he uh, meant to be applied. Uh, we'll talk about those just in just a minute. So James had uh, written about living a righteous life, essentially, in those previous verses. So in verse 21, he says, therefore, lay aside <clears throat> all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So cast off something and receive something. Now this section begins <clears throat> by urging us to lay aside, uh, to get rid of, and to put off all filthiness and all wickedness. It's like taking off dirty clothes and throwing them out. And I was reminded as I was working on the sermon that uh, I was two weeks ago, I was at Jenny and Ashton's house and we were crawling around Ashton's attic trying to get it ready for insulating. And so when we got down, we both looked at each other and, you know, we kind of thought, wow, I probably should throw this clothes away, but I just set it off to the side. But it reminded me that that's what all our righteousness is, without the Lord Jesus, of course. We are to turn from what is filthy in God's sight and to basically cast it from us, to take an action. And we will see that this passage ends also by calling us to holiness. And so we are to lay aside all that remains, it says. What remains? The overflow of the old man that is still in us. We're to lay that aside. And these are strong and deliberate actions that we, we should take to say no to sin. And we can say no to sin, again, by God's grace, according to Romans 6. Now, Calvin said, doctrine must be transfused into the heart and pass into conduct and so transform us so as not to prove unfruitful. So again, he said doctrine, we need to hear the doctrine, the scriptures, must be transfused into the heart and then pass into conduct so that we are transformed, so that we are fruitful, fruit-bearing Christians. And then we're urged, as we're getting rid of this sin, to receive with a meek spirit the word of God. We should have a teachable and a humble spirit um, and we can do that because the word is now a part of us through re regeneration and the new life that we have in Christ. We must receive it. We must take it in. You are a faithful congregation in receiving it on the Lord's day. And I know you read it. You are receiving it. You love the word of God. And it is the instrument that the spirit uses to uh, give us new life and uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Paul noted this of Timothy. This is what he said of Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He said that, well, from childhood, you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And it's the same for us. The word is able to make us wise for salvation. And the word of God also engrafted in us, implanted in us, is also the instrument that the spirit uses to bless us and to strengthen us and to keep us from deception by our enemy and deception by our own foolish hearts, our own sin. Charles Spurgeon said, receive it as a graft. So he's thinking of the word of God. He says, receive it as a graft. You all know what a graft is. You can maybe take two um, stems of a plant and you cut them and you bind them and one of them, and they gain characteristics of each other. So he says, receive it as a graft. As the tree is prepared by the knife to receive the new shoot that is to be put into it, 
and does so receive it as to make it its own and to use it for its own fruit-bearing purposes, even in that way, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So brothers and sisters, we must continue to throw off the sin that so easily ensnares us by repentance and by faith, just as we came to know the Lord. And then we must eagerly and continually receive the word through the various means that the Lord gives us to receive it. We can hear, read, study, memorize, meditate on the word of God. And we should do those things. The word is our life. And so may the Lord make us uh, even more those who receive his word with meekness and then put off those things which do, do not please him. And if we don't receive it, we can't apply it. And thus, we'll see here now, we can be deceived. We can be greatly deceived. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word. So he's talked about receiving the word, the implanted word, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now by several commentators, this is considered to be one of the key verses of the letter, if not the key verse of this letter, because the whole book is about applying the word of God, about the works that result from being justified by faith. And so we are called here, we are reminded in this passage to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And of course, we need to hear the word of God. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it uh, to be able to know what we are to do. What are the commands of God? But unless we act on it, it says that we are deceived. And the definition, the brief definition of deceived means to believe something that is not true. And it isn't just careless hearing of the word, I think, being rebuked here uh, by James, by the Lord through James, but it's the neglect of carrying out what we've heard, what we know. And to be doers doesn't mean just to do, uh, but we are to be the kind of people, it's talking about a kind of people here, who take what is commanded, who receive it when it is taught, and who are always seeking to carry it out. They have a mindset. Basically, they're always thinking something like, well, how do I live that out? How can I do that? So doing the word should be a way of life for us. We are called to be doers, those kind of people, all the time and systematically. So that is the way we should always come to the word of God as we hear it and as we learn it, with no excuses, basically, to put off applying what we hear, thinking we will do, we'll do that later. We'll do later what God has brought to our attention now. Also, not being content. We shouldn't be content with knowledge only with academic pursuit only, and just passive in the application of biblical knowledge. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, there must be two things here. There must be inward practice by meditation, and what I referred to, Calvin, Calvin referred to doctrine being transfused into the heart. So Matthew Henry said, there must be inward practice by meditation and outward practice by true obedience. In John 7, Jesus was teaching in the temple and the people were amazed at his teaching. And uh, in response to one of the uh, questions, he said, well, if anyone's will is to do God's will, his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority, they were questioning his authority. But basically, it's saying, in other words, if someone comes to the word of God wanting to do it with a will to live it out, they will know the truth of the doctrine and the teaching. And to not do what the word says is to really not understand it fully, no matter how well the person could articulate it or debate it. So the deception is that we can hear and we can study and we can read and uh, take in the word of God, which we should do. 
but that this knowledge alone makes us think we are obedient. I'm an obedient Christian. It makes us confident that we are maturing as a Christian, maturing as we can and should, or that we are pleasing God, that without putting the word we learn and know into practice, we are actually thriving Christians. Jesus referred to uh, the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Here's a picture of those who are deceived. Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So they had a position of authority, and they were teaching. They sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So the Pharisees were deceived, and they were deceiving others. They were blind guides because they were proud of their learning, uh, of their knowledge of the written word. Uh, but the letter of the law, they, were, you know, they knew a lot, uh, the letter of the law, but they couldn't see their disobedience to the living word of the Spirit. In Luke 6, and uh, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, James refers back to the Sermon on the Mount a number of times. And in this case, uh, this is from Luke chapter 6. And the Lord, this is the Lord's command to the people and to us. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like or what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth or on the sand without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So doing the word of God is how we grow and how the church grows. Knowledge and talk without action gives a false and a deceptive strength, like a building built on sand. Looks good. I mean, you can't see the foundation, but a, a flood comes and it doesn't stand. And when trials wash over us, we are much stronger if we have been steadily applying the word of God. There are whole denominations that have ceased to try to obey the law of God, the whole counsel of God, and have very weak foundations. They think the law can't or shouldn't be lived out in our day. And they're deceived. They are a weak part of the building of the church, of the body of Christ. Well, another part of our self-deception is that we think we can effectively uh, speak or teach what we've heard without doing it, at least in some measure. And a good example of this was Ezra. In chapter 7, Ezra said uh, that he uh, set his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his commandments and statutes in Israel. So Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and he did. He studied diligently. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his commandments and statutes in Israel. I believe that order is important. And he was a man of action, like Nehemiah. And we have an illustration of deception right here in our passage. In James uh, 1 here, verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing or beholding, looking intently is the meaning of the word there. It's like someone who's observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, 
and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Ah, okay, that was enough. Now, in the times in which this was written, a mirror was not made out of glass. It was made out of uh, some kind of metal, uh, especially brass, if they could afford it, and it was highly polished. And so it was expensive, and it was precious, and these people wanted to see what they looked like. So they got what they could to do that. They have a polished piece of metal. And brothers and sisters, we have the precious word of God to help us discern the thoughts and intents of our heart, what we really look like. It's the best mirror available to see what we're really like. I think those who had one of those mirrors long ago probably used it a lot. It cost them a lot. It was precious to them. And how they looked uh, was important to them. So they kept that thing around. They used it. And people use a mirror, of course, with the intention of making a change, usually, if it's needed. Now, I personally don't often look in a mirror, I suppose, maybe once in the morning. Uh, maybe, maybe I should look more in the mirror. But uh, generally, mostly what I'm doing is trying to see if my thinning hair is covering my growing bald spot. But I have a purpose in using that mirror, you know. I want to change something. Um, I want to use that mirror to see what I can't see otherwise and to correct what I can. So related to this, I'd like to ask a question. Here's a question for application. How often and how intently do you look into the mirror of the Word of God in order to do what it commands, with a will to do what the Word commands? And secondly, how often and intently do you look into the mirror of the Word of God in order to ask the Lord to help you to see how you need to change, to reveal your heart, and also to reveal the beauty of the Lord who can make all things new. We want to see the beauty of the Lord in his word, but we also have to see what we're really like. And we need to do this because we are not, brothers and sisters, very good at understanding what we are really like. We don't like to think like that. We don't like anybody to know that, certainly. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately corrupt, who can understand it? So our heart is deceptive. It's important that we know that. We are very poor at remembering how often we disobey the Word of God, unless we're in the Word of God. In other words, we forget how ugly we are due to sin and how much we need to change. So we need to allow the Word of God to reveal us. And Phil shared some weeks ago from Revelation 10 that we should not ever hide ourselves from the searching gaze of Scripture. That's how he phrased it. We should not be too far away from that searching gaze. In 1 John 1, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we are naturally, brothers and sisters, good. We are good at deceiving ourselves. And so we think that a brief look into the Word with very little putting off and putting on with little commitment to change, we, we might believe that that's sufficient. And it's certainly easy to deceive ourselves as to what we really uh, look like if we do not gaze at ourselves through the mirror of the Word of God. We're too content. We're far too content with how we look or, or how we think we look when God has called us to the beauty of holiness, which we know only by intently looking into the Word of God. I got thinking in Revelation 3, John was speaking to the Laodiceans, and he said, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, the second part of that is the perspective 
that they would have seen in the word. First part said, well, we really don't need anything. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. So we need the perspective of the word of God always. Or we slide into deception. The word observing here means to behold, means to look intently, which, of course, uh, should be how we always come to the word of God. But we look intently. If we're looking ju intently just briefly and then just go away and not take to heart what we saw and grow in Christ-likeness by our actions of faith, we are deceived, it's saying here. We do not actually know that truth because we haven't sought to apply it. Matthew Henry expanded this a little better. I like his illustrations. He said, when we attend to the word of God, or when we listen to it intently, when we attend to the word of God so as to see our true state and condition and to change what is amiss by the mirror of God's word, this is the proper use of it. The mirror hearer may sometimes have short-lived convictions of his sinfulness, but not liking the view given of his state, heart, and character in the mirror of God's word, and not really desiring a thorough change, he soon loses sight of his fleeting discoveries and remains ignorant of himself and of transforming grace. May it not be so of us. May the Lord keep us from ignorance of ourselves and ignorance of his transforming grace. We should not put off or procrastinate when the Lord shows us from his word what we need to change, what we need to do. If we don't apply this conviction, he will continue because he's a God of grace, a God who disciplines those whom he loves. He will continue to call us to obedience and to sanctify us by his word. We won't progress much in maturity if we don't apply the word by faith when he opens that word to us. Spurgeon said it this way, the best thing to do when you look into a glass, he meant a mirror, so the best thing to do when you look into a mirror and spy a spot on your face, ah, you see something there, is to wash it off directly. The true use of hearing the word or reading it is to amend one's self at once in those points in which the word discovers us to be faulty. To look in the mirror and not to wash off the spots is but a piece of vanity. You're just looking in the mirror to see yourself. And to hear a sermon or read a chapter and not to put into practice what we are taught is a sad waste of time. So the Spirit enables us to be hearers and then to be doers. Philippians 2 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You have a will to do his word, to obey his word, and you have the power in the Holy Spirit to do it, to do his good pleasure. <clears throat> so a doer must learn to confess, of course, and repent because he or she, we, will not perfectly or completely or consistently apply the word of God that he already knows. So repentance is a part of being a doer. A doer is someone who will be repenting all his life. And repenting means to turn from sin to doing righteousness. It's an action of faith. You'll be very limited in your future doing if you won't grow as a doer, and you won't grow as a doer very well. To be a doer means that you are doing the word more and more, although you fail. So a hearer may think that just by hearing or reading or studying, he is a doer. I'm a doer. And we are commanded to hear, read, and study, and memorize the word. And you may be a doer in that, but we must grow in obeying the word of God. And when setbacks come and disobedience to what we know happens, we mature by repenting and truly turning in heart and action from sin to that which God commands. 
Well, we can be greatly blessed as being doers. Verses 25 through 27. Verse 25 says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one, this kind of person, will be blessed in what he does. There's great blessing in being a doer of the word of God. Notice that it says this person is looking into the mirror of the perfect law of liberty or of freedom <clears throat> and is peering into it with diligence and continues in it, continues in the doing of it. And uh, so that person will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed because he's taken actions of faith. And God is pleased with the person who looks intently into his word with a heart to obey it. This person does not forget what he looks like in the mirror of the word of God because he's a doer of the work and he's looking intently in the word of God. The word of God is meant to be applied. And those who diligently apply it, as much as they diligently may study it, will be greatly blessed. And then they will be able to learn and apply even more of the word of God because they have obeyed what they heard and they can move on in growing in grace. <clears throat> Psalm 112 says, Blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And there's a long list of those blessings in Psalm 112. May you know those blessings. In Luke 11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And to love the Lord, really, is to obey his word. 1 John 5 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. John 14, 21 makes it clear. It says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If we are not growing in keeping his word, in keeping his law, can we say that we are growing in the love of the Lord? The person who is a doer of the work of God, or the word of God, is blessed in his doing, or he continues to be deceived. And uh, now we have two illustrations in verses 26 and 27. You are blessed or you are deceived in the way that you speak. <clears throat> Verse 26. <clears throat> Excuse me. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Some versions said vain. So vain religion, I believe, is mostly talk and some show to get attention, to appear godly. And this letter from James says more, really, about speaking than almost any other book in Scripture, uh, maybe besides Proverbs. There's much about the tongue in this book. So James had written earlier in, in chapter 1 that we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, anger and words of anger are like murder. But a doer of the word will be growing in the self-control of their tongue, their speech. 2 Timothy 3, 5 speaks of having the form of godliness but denying its power. And those people use their tongues to make themselves look good, look religious, but deny its power. They do not do by the grace of God what is commanded. And James in chapter 3 says, we put bits into horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder where the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Remember, we're supposed to get rid of that which defiles. And sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. <clears throat> but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who are made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So we're greatly deceived if we think we can speak as we feel, whatever we want to say, with an unbridled or an untamed tongue, in disobedience to many commands. But here's one, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. No word except that which edifies or gives grace to the hearers. So brothers and sisters, if your tongue's causing some fires and you are thinking you are religious, you're growing, you're spiritual, you could be deceived. Your religion, your knowledge, or at least your practice of faith, it says here, he said it's useless because you are not a doer of the word in the way that you speak. You may have some form of godliness in your religion, but you are denying the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way you speak, to be a doer of the word of God. And yet, our tongues can be great blessings to those in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. If you have a bridled tongue, bridled by the word of God and by the Spirit, your words can be a source of great blessing. Proverbs 12 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you realize your tongue, the words you say, can bring healing to people? Well, secondly, another uh, way that we can be blessed or we can be deceived in the way that is the way that we serve and the way that we live. Verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So to be a doer means that we are actively involved in helping uh, the poor and the needy and also uh, that we work to separate from the world, to not be spotted or filthy or defiled from it. So, of course, again, we are in the world. We can't be of it. We're not of that nature. But we have to serve in it. And a religion of words only with no deeds is unacceptable to our Father in heaven. First John 3 says, My little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Some versions say just in there. Let us not love just in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth, in action. James 2 says, What does it profit? In other words, what is the gain? What, what is the blessing? What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you, you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What is the profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In Matthew 25, Jesus uh, saw a charity, I believe, as a vital part of discipleship. This is what disciples do. And James is also referring, I believe, back to the Old Testament in some of what he's writing here. For example, Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, that I have chosen? The fast they were doing was not the fast that he had chosen. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry 
and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him. So speaking of orphans and, and widows here in this section is uh, essentially a general way of saying that we should be involved, should be active in helping those who cannot care for themselves, who are weak, those who are truly needy. In Matthew 6, Jesus warned us, he qualified this a bit, and he said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So you are blessed if you serve others. You, are greatly, you, you can be a great blessing in how you serve as unto the Lord, as Rodney shared this morning, or you are deceived by either doing nothing or by doing it for some kind of personal gain. Well, finally, I'd like to suggest uh, an application for you. This whole sermon is about applications, if you haven't already thought of one. Uh, before I do that, I'd like to also suggest that whenever you're reading in the Word of God or you're hearing it, uh, receiving it in some way, that you have next to you a way to take notes. And if you are moved or if you're convicted or if you are blessed by what you're hearing, uh, note that and seek to meditate on it and begin to apply it as soon as possible. Again, as we heard in this passage, it's easy to look in the mirror and forget what you look like by not applying it. So I quoted earlier Matthew Henry, there must be inward practice by meditation and outward practice by true obedience. So what I'm going to suggest, maybe there's a readily doable application that you might make of this sermon, and that is that you begin to develop or you continue to develop more diligently the habit of meditation of intently looking into the word, chewing on it, chewing on each part of a verse, really thinking it out, to understand it as deeply as you can with the intention of applying it. So you're looking into the mirror, the mirror of the word of God, essentially, and you don't just observe yourself, glance at yourself fleetingly and go away um, and immediately forget what you saw, what you're supposed to do in terms of your maturity and your growth in obedience to the word of God. Psalm 1-2 says that the person who meditates on God's word is blessed, again, greatly blessed. Blessed is the one who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. In a book that Don Whitney wrote, <clears throat> which I really enjoy, and uh, every year I give you Don Whitney's questions to ask at the end or beginning of a new year, um, but Don Whitney said in a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and he wrote this way. I thought his illustration is great. The tree of your spiritual life, looking back at Psalm 1, essentially, the tree of your spiritual life thrives best with meditation because it helps you absorb the water of God's word. That's a great illustration. Merely hearing, he goes on, merely hearing or reading the Bible, for example, can be like a short rainfall on hard ground. Regardless of the amount or intensity of the rain, most runs off and little sinks in. Meditation opens the soil of the soul and lets the water of God's word percolate in deeply. The result is an extraordinary fruitfulness and spiritual prosperity. And I would add maturity. So I'd encourage you, brothers and sisters, to commit yourself to meditating on the Word of God, even more than you already are doing. If we desire for the Word to take root in our lives so that we produce a harvest that pleases God to glorify Him, we must ponder, we must reflect and meditate on what we read and study and, and hear. 
And a quick example. For example, if you took Proverbs 3.5, most of you know that, trust in the Lord with all your heart. First part of Proverbs 3.5. And if you're going to meditate on that, this is the way I was taught many years ago. You, first of all, you think of trust. You may not even do a word study on trust. You think, trust. What does that mean? It means to believe. Trust. Am I trusting? You'd ask yourself many questions. You'd learn what trust means. Then trust in the Lord. Then you'd think, oh, that qualifies trust. I can't trust in anyone else, really. Uh, I should trust in the Lord alone. And think about that. Am I doing that now? Am I trusting in the Lord? And what does that mean? And trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, that also qualifies uh, how you trust. It's not half done. It's with all your heart. So meditate that way. Chew on it. And the Lord will lead you by his spirit. For example, here's some questions you can ask. What does this passage teach me about God, about my God, about the Lord Jesus, about the spirit? What does this passage teach me about the church, about the body of Christ? What does this passage teach me about the word of the world that I live in? What does this passage teach me about myself? Like we talked about earlier, you're looking in there into the word of God. What does it teach me about my own desires and motives? Does this passage require that I take action? And if so, what action should I take? What do I need to confess and or repent of? What have I learned from this passage that will help me to focus on God and strive for his glory? Those are just examples of questions you can ask. That's how we meditate. Meditation isn't, you all know this, but you know, it's not Eastern meditation at all. It's us guided by the Spirit looking into the Word of God. And he has promised to reveal himself. And Whitney ends by saying, the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. In other words, we're hearers and we are doers of the word of God. So brothers and sisters, to conclude, I urge you, receive the word with teachable hearts. Look into the mirror of the word of God intently and meditate on it with the expectation that you will Seek to apply it by his grace. It's always by his grace. Don't be deceived that you are growing if you are not actively working on doing. But be blessed. And you are a blessing to me. You're a blessing to many. But even more so blessed as you obey in the way that you speak and in the way that you serve as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we rejoice that you have given us your precious word to learn of you and of what you want us to do and what you want us to be. And we thank you that we can even receive your word and live it out because of your grace and mercy in regenerating us through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the indwelling spirit. And, O oh Lord, we desire to be learners and faithful disciples who listen and learn and then take actions of faith to please you. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we might be eager hearers who are also doers, all by your power and for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.